Patrick Brown has been engaged in dirty and crooked politics for too long in this province. This isn't about me. This isn't about the PC party. This is about making sure that on June 7th, the Progressive Conservative Party is successful. And people have now found significant evidence of his wrongdoing, and we're bringing it to the proper agencies to have it fully investigated and that due process is completed. Because we're not going to settle for an Ontario that's a have-not province. We're not going to settle for an Ontario that's not doing everything it can. Whispers and doubts. This is Buy a Dog, the podcast. I'm Arlene Bynan. And I'm Jamie Ellerton. Jamie, here we are another week. One thing has been settled. Patrick Brown can run for the leadership here and try to get that job back that he's lost. But boy, the controversy is still swirling and we're about to find out some more. Arlene, all five are in. This circus will have five acts. You're not kidding. And like Shakespeare, there's going to be a little bit of tragedy. This week on Buy a Dog, the podcast, we have our first guest, and it's a great one. Alrighty, we are honored to have our first guest here on the Buy a Dog podcast. Uh, joining us today is a former Ontario PC Party president and the principal at Campaign Research, Richard Chiano. Richard, welcome to Buy a Dog. Uh, thanks very much. Certainly honored to be your first guest. Thanks for having me on. Yes, you'll be bragging about this in no time, Richard. Let, <laughs> I, I, although I don't know. Okay, let's begin. What a time for you to join us. What a time for the PC party in Ontario. Everyone really kind of sums it up by saying this really looks like a mess heading into election, all the discord. What do you make of it from your past experience here? Uh, well, certainly uh, when I was uh, my four years as president of the party, the party was an island uh, of tranquility uh, compared <laughs> to this. Uh, I mean, uh, certainly it's been a an unprecedented three, four weeks now uh, of Ontario politics. I keep I keep talking to my friends and former colleagues uh, in the party and, and we keep, you know, saying, like, have you ever seen anything like this in Ontario politics? And uh, in any party, in any context, and and the answer is always no. We're we're into entirely uh, uncharted waters here. Certainly, um, certainly troublesome to see, uh, d- distressing. But you know, it's it's easy also to see uh, how we've gotten here. Uh, so. Hopefully I can help you unpack it a little bit. All right. How did we get here? Let's just jump right into it. Why? What does this stand for? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, initially, obviously, it's the it was the nature of the allegations against uh, the former leader that that really was uh, what set off uh, all this chain of events so far. And and look, I I just want to be clear as well. I I think part of what people have to know, and it's it's been out there a little bit, but but not uh, entirely clear is that. None of this was entirely a shock uh, to members, insiders, uh, caucus members, you know, executive members and and people really in the know in the party. And I think that's why that's actually caused a little bit of how how it's gotten here and why things have been so uh, disjointed. I, I can tell you, even as far back as two years ago, there was a lot of concern about the former leaders and now leadership candidate uh, Patrick Brown's vulnerabilities on uh, issues around his uh, his personal relationships. And, and so I think what has happened is you have a case where that first sh- shot that started the war uh, with the CTV report really dropped, uh, you know, dropped him right away. I mean, he was out as leader within, I don't know, three, four hours, I think, 
uh, he he uh, finally offered his resignation, although he denies it. It's obvious that he did uh, resign uh, and, and was out. And then I think you had this process where he reconsidered after the fact, and that kind of has then led to this domino effect where you know other candidates got in. Uh, you know, he then started to try and uh, restore his reputation. And I think ultimately has made this calculus that running for leader is is a mechanism for him to uh, to restore uh, his reputation. And I and I presume he actually wants to try and uh, resume his position as leader. Although I I I, I believe it's not going to work out that way because what you've seen, in fact, is his former staff, obviously, and others in the party realizing that that he represents a. Um, a vulnerability uh, to the party heading into a provincial election in in less than three months, and so trying to out other information about him to to lessen the chance that he'll actually uh, be the leader uh, going into the election process. I I think if I had to sum it up in in that you know whatever it just took me there sixty ninety <laughs> seconds, I think that's that's as much as I could condense it down. All right, that, that, that's a I think a really great overview. If we can kind of go back to the beginning, you you made reference to the fact that from when the story first broke, CTV had the initial tweet that they were going to have an exclusive at about 9 p.m. at 9.45. It was actually 10, the, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Yeah, the, oh, the sorry, tweet, yeah, was, they, they yeah, the tweet was 9 p.m. The yes. Rush News Conference was 9.45. The report yes. was 10 p.m. And then it's my understanding that there were two caucus conference calls that took place that night and yes. then ultimately the resignation at 1.30. So on the caucus side and the Queen's Park aspect of this, I think that stuff's been well documented. For our listeners' benefit, of course, you also were the past president on the executive until Rick Dykstra resigned, uh, therefore pushing you off of the executive just through pro forma procedure. What was going on with the party executive from when this broke to ultimately when that decision got made to actually hold the leadership race? Because that in and itself was a I only started to see the emails fly. Uh, it might have been an hour or two, uh, you know, in in that time, sometime between the allegation breaking and uh, and then uh, the former leader actually resigning. I started to see emails flying from executive members just saying we need to have a meeting. We need to have a meeting. Uh, that was really the the extent of it. Uh, that night, it, it became very clear that uh, by the you know the sort of late into the early in the morning. Uh, uh, that that next morning, that that it was okay. We needed to start to plan the next steps around uh, uh, some kind of process for having a leader going into uh, into the next election. So there was a meeting that next day. There were two meetings. The, there was uh, so the Thursday uh, there was a meeting where already some members of the executive were pushing very hard to to trigger a leadership race. And initially, I as you may not know, I was very much on the side of. We, we shouldn't have had or shouldn't have tried to have a leadership race until after uh, the provincial general election. And those of us who were on that side kind of won that day saying, hey, uh, guys on the executive, that's really great that we want to have a leadership race. But I, I think we should at least hear from caucus about what they think about the, how the process should unfold between now and the provincial general election. You know, they're the professional uh, side of the uh, of the party, they've got a lot on the line in terms of well, their jobs, you know, the actual our caucus and legislature and and our and the competitive standing going into an election. We should at least hear from them first, and and we won that day on the on the Thursday. It became clear on the Friday very quickly, you know, the, the then yeah, the caucus did on Friday morning uh, select Vic Fideli as the interim leader and come back with a strong recommendation that we should not, in fact, hold a leadership election for the permanent leadership until after the provincial general election. 
but it was clear already that by that uh, next meeting, even at the outset of that meeting that ended up lasting, you know, three, four, five hours, whatever it was, that, that the folks on the executive that wanted desperately to trigger uh, a leadership race uh, uh, and as quickly as possible had the upper hand in terms of numbers and, uh, and were intent on uh, triggering a permanent uh, a leadership race before the general election. Uh, I think at that point it was clearly most of the same people. It's actually a funny dynamic that it was, you know, ultimately that same sort of group cabal on the executive that really were the Patrick Brown, that, that represent the Patrick Brown loyalists on the executive had already found a lifeboat, I guess, in um, Carolyn Mulroney's campaign, not to put too uh, fine a point on it. And, and even though ultimately I think they would regret that decision because they're now most of those people have already shifted back to being in favor of, of Patrick Brown. Uh, they were desperate to trigger an election, I think, for the perceived uh, what they perceived as the benefit of, of Carolyn uh, Mulroney at that point. Richard, let me ask you, you know, um, Patrick Brown has been very clear saying he believes he's cleared his name. Many others say he hasn't really answered a lot of these questions. What you're saying is there was already concern because of those precise female relationship allegations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you, even going back to the initial leadership race, uh, which he won in 2015, uh, there was already a lot of concern about his candidacy on the on the basis of worry about uh, the potential for revelations about uh, past relationships. And it wasn't, I, I don't say it in, a, in any kind of a malicious way, and I, I certainly am not, I don't believe that there's any evidence that, uh, that Patrick Brown at this point has done anything, you know, illegal. Uh, but what say, was the or, concern then? The concern was, you know, this is a guy who, you know, as a as a bachelor at a reasonably advanced age, had uh, a bit of a reputation as a player. I mean, I don't want to overstate that. Let's let's say maybe an avid bachelor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a concern that he may have, along the course of a normal bachelorhood, I guess, had some negative uh, relationship experiences where people might uh, come back some some years later and having felt uh, manipulated, used, uh, whatever, whatever, however you want to put it. You know, certainly one of the concerns was as well that he had seemed to have a penchant. And we, we've learned more about that in the last uh, day or two of, of dating staff or former staff as well. So it was really this this concern that um, he had had relationships that uh, that would come back to haunt him. Is that it? I mean, the Me Too movement is happening and everything. Was that growing more and more? And was it related to what we learned from CTV, or was this just general? I, I would say again, it was just general. It wasn't. It what nobody certainly I can tell you, nobody I know came with specific knowledge of this particular woman is going is going to say he went too far or didn't have consent or anything like that. And and I honestly. Uh, I'm not sure that I believe he forced himself on anybody or anything uh, like that. It was just this general concern that his uh, personal relationship straddled the line of inappropriateness because of uh, his uh, status as an MP or MPP, as a, as the case may be, and you know that that kind of pattern of uh, of, of short relationships and so on. Richard, you've been at this a long time, and obviously as uh, serving as party president, you would have traveled the province yep. nonstop. Uh, one of the dynamics we've seen from a media cycle standpoint since all this broke was kind of a public opinion referendum on do you believe Patrick Brown or do you believe the woman? 
What have you been hearing from riding presidents, longtime party activists in the regions outside of Toronto and outside of uh, the normal media circle? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think, again, it's, it's you know, people, it's been this dynamic. Most conversations, uh, you know, start with, can you believe what's going on? And and uh, can you believe what happened today or yesterday or the day before? And, you know, who, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? So mostly just, you know, be, people being startled and concerned and wondering uh, where this is all um, going. I, I, I certainly think some of this back and forth. It, it certainly absorbed uh, the media cycle the, the last week or so, the fascination with with uh, uh, Brown, Willie, or Woney jump into this race. Uh, I do think that the members, and I, I just wanted to be uh, upfront about this, I, I'm going to be uh, supporting Christine. I am supporting Christine Elliott in the race. Uh, I do think that she has a, a strong leg up with the, uh, with the grassroots members and activists of the party. I, I do think that most of... Uh, that, that, that she may be nearing, uh, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent uh, on the first ballot of support. I think there's a strong uh, support for her out there uh, in the grassroots and just in, you know, yeah, in the recognition that she's uh, uh, the best choice to lead us into the election on, on June 7th. So so I think that some of the fascination, the most of the fascination with Brown is at a media level. And I think most of the genuine interest from party members right now. Uh, in the grassroots is actually uh, in, in Christine Elliott and, and uh, hoping for her leadership uh, at the, at the uh, conclusion of this race. What's going to be left? I mean, as we we began this talking about how messy it is, you've just let us in on what was going through the internal minds before this penny dropped. Now, you know, we usually have time before a leadership race and then the healing before the election it's pretty bloody out there, and it's bloody in a most modern way. It is playing out on social media. It is playing out on Twitter, and that is where the biggest wounds are being thrust. What do you make of where the party can go from this? Can it, can it get out of it, or are we in new territory? That's a great question. I mean, we certainly are in, in new territory. You, you're right. It's a, it's, it seems on the surface of it an intensely bloody uh, process uh, this close to an election. And, and that was one of the reasons why, again, I, I thought that we should uh, stall the, uh, the, permanent, the, the, the race for permanent leadership uh, until after the general election because of precisely this concern. Although I will say most of the blood and the wounds and the, uh, the heartache right now does seem to be in the realm of the uh, Patrick Brown, should he or shouldn't he have? And, and uh, Patrick Brown, what's his motive? Is it, you know, is, is he, does he care about, is this, is he just trying to, because he can't have the house, he's going to burn it down. To me, that seems to be where most of the blood is. I don't think Frankly, uh, Christine Elliott, uh, Doug Ford, uh, or 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 Carolyn Mulroney, or Tanya uh, Allen, or Granick Allen have been touched at all, and this is the good news of it. So, so I think if uh, you know, you're right. It, it's intensely unsettling to see it play out like this in social media in such a public way. Uh, but I actually think the silver lining is most of that blood and guts and mud. Uh, it seems to be on the on the Patrick Brown side, and I, and I just I don't believe that he'll be uh, he'll be elected leader at the at the end of this process. From an internal party dynamic standpoint, I think it's it's fair to say that Tony Granick Allen was 
was very much the agitator and exceeded expectations by establishing a presence in this leadership race during that Great. first debate. Uh, she's kind of taken on the mantle. Everyone knows her as kind of the anti-sex ed candidate, but she's also taken on the mantle of the grassroots grievances candidate. Of course, interim party leader Vic Fidelli yeah. has revised the membership role to say there wasn't 200,000. They got the database. There was only 130. Uh, he's also reopened two nominations and processes that were dogged with controversy. And of course, there's the Hamilton one that had the criminal investigation. How much of this is going to play out in the next two, three weeks in this leadership process of Patrick being held to account and asking, being forced to answer questions like that? Oh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. First of all, on, on Tanya uh, Granick Allen, I apologize if I'm reversing her, her surnames there. Uh, the uh, she she I think she comported herself uh, quite uh, ably in that in that first debate. I I can certainly tell you you're right. I mean she she certainly to many would would be seen as a, a one issue a candidate around the sex ed uh, curriculum issue. I've certainly known her as an activist uh, in the party. Uh, certainly on the social you know particularly interested in social conservative type uh, things uh, going back to two thousand and five. Uh, on the federal scene, I remember she was helping a candidate uh, uh, who was running for national council in that same election that I that I was running for national council at the federal level. So, so at least going back, let's say, uh, 13 years now, uh, I've known her to be an activist in in conservative uh, circles. You're right; she, she's definitely taken issue with with some of those uh, internal things, uh, particularly. And and I and I'd have to say I agree with with her on that. I felt that the brown era, uh, the the first uh, brown era, the last, hopefully the last uh, brown era, uh, was marred by a lot of kind of uh, heavy-handed internal stuff in the party. Uh, you know, particularly the treatment of Jim uh, Carahalios, who, who I think really his only uh, real crime was was standing up uh, for the constitution uh, of the party uh, to begin with. And you know, he had to go through uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, he was uh, sued by the party, had his membership stripped, uh, was denied entry to the convention, and so on. So I, I think there, there are certainly those of us in the party who've been concerned about uh, the way the party executive and the party uh, leadership operated these last couple of years. And, and she obviously was aware of those concerns as well. In her case, uh, from the, uh, the social conservative angle, because a lot of social conservatives uh, felt that same way, and and she's uh, decided to uh, to articulate them. But uh, I can tell you, she's not alone uh, in being concerned about those. And I think you know, obviously, uh, Vic Fidelli in his role as interim leader, some caucus members now have stepped up as well to raise their concerns about about the Brown era, and and I think other candidates uh, to uh, to to a less uh, open extent than Tanya uh, Granick Allen. But nonetheless, uh, uh, folks are are raising it as well, and I think I think they're very legitimate concerns. So as we head into the final stretch, obviously, there's going to be the Ottawa debate that takes place on February 28th, the evening at the Shaw Centre. It's going to be hosted by Althea Raj at the Huffington Post. And then we get right into voting March 2nd to 8th. Given the unconventional nature of this campaign, what should people be watching between now and voting wrapping up on March 8th? I, I think that one of the concerns uh, that, that we're going to have is the Ontario PC Party has never before held a leadership race uh, using an online uh, voting mechanism. We've always done it the old-fashioned, the good old-fashioned way of pencil and paper at, at a voting location. Uh, so I would certainly uh, be watching how, you know, how legitimately the rest of the process unfolds. I can tell you there's concerns that I have uh, the, the, of, um, uh, so going back to the uh, policy process was done in an online 
uh, voting type mechanism as well. You know, one of the members of the executive, when we were discussing this issue of holding a leadership race in this time and the likely necessity that it would have to be uh, using online voting, made mention of the fact that of the four or five members of, of uh, their family, only one uh, received uh, their PIN uh, number, which they needed uh, to vote, in time to vote. The Russians, so, uh, are you saying the Russians have in, could be infiltrated? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if it was, I don't know if the Russians intervened in the mail. How uh, flattering. I just think, <laughs> I think that there were ser serious concerns over, you know, the, the actual fairness and fulsomeness of the vote. Yes, the possibility of, of hacking and other concerns, you know, one of the things that came out was that there had been a malware attack, uh, a, a ransomware attack on the party that happened in November that was still, uh, uh, you know, a problem for the, the party's IT systems. So I, I would be looking at that, at the legitimacy, uh, the concern, the greatest, the thing that's keeping me up right now uh, the most at night is the, is the prospect that uh, we will not have a, um, a conclusive, uh, fair uh, vote uh, held, and that wow. uh, it, the vote may not have uh, credibility if things don't go well. Wow, that is really words of caution. Richard Chiano, thank you so much for joining us. We will have you back. It's not over yet. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on again. Certainly honored to, to have been your first guest. It was great to have Richard on the podcast. I got to tell you, Jamie, two big takeaways for me from this. Number one, he was very clear. He went further than anybody that I've ever heard in this story so far, saying there was nothing new about rumors and concerns about Patrick Brown as a leader when it came to women. And secondly, with all those worries and everything that's happening in this party, wow, there we have the former party president saying he's concerned about the legitimacy of this leadership vote. Yeah, to use uh, education, obviously, is a big issue in provincial politics. Are the party going to be able to show its math and instill confidence in this process? I think that's going to be something that gets talked about a lot here in the next couple of weeks. As if we didn't have enough scandal and controversy, we have more. I'm Arlene Bynum. I'm Jamie Ellerton. And this has been Buy a Dog, the podcast. So if you found us so far, you've been on SoundCloud, but if you want to subscribe, the Buy a Dog podcast is now in the Google Play Store. It's on iTunes and in all the other major podcast directories. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Buy a Dog Podcast and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Buy a Dog Podcast. <laughs>